morning, let's go ahead and open our Bibles up to Romans 6, verses 15 to 23. If you remember two weeks ago, we started the first 14 verses of Romans 6. So now we're continuing on with Romans 6, verses 15 through 23. And then something we've been doing lately over the last month or so is we, we've introduced maybe a, a new area of liturgy, if you will, or new something we want to introduce every once in a while at least. And that is, I'd like to ask everyone to stand. If you're able, go ahead and stand up for the reading of God's word. And why we're doing this is really to show that we're honoring God's word, we're, we're worshiping God's word is really a very unique thing because only God's word is completely inspired. So let's Hear God's inspired holy word this morning. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness... So now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would would understand what it means to be set free from slavery to sin. God, I pray that you would enable us to hear your word, to apply your words to our heart. God, would you awaken our hearts, awaken our minds as we sang this morning, illuminate us. We rely on you, Holy Spirit, to do what only you can do, but but God, we, we want you to make us awake to the reality of who we are in Christ. And God, we, we want to see what it means to be slaves of you, been set free from sin, and be set free to serve you gladly. God, I pray that you would Give us your grace this morning and you would set before us the riches of your reward in Christ Jesus by your grace. Amen. Well, I've been reading and thinking a lot about the Civil War lately, actually over the last probably month or so, been, been thinking a lot, meditating on the Civil War and, and the horrific institution of slavery in the days prior to and and during the civil war and I I really still can't imagine I I can't put myself in the shoes of slaves I I try but I can't imagine how about you have you ever tried to imagine what it would be like to live as a slave what would it be like to live where you have no rights where you're not considered a person where you have no right to property 
You have no right to have a family. You have no right to any income. You can't make your own decisions. Where you go is dictated and controlled by someone else. You have no choice in any area of your life. And, and for me, I had the hardest time putting myself there because in every area of my life, I, I'm, I can't imagine being controlled by someone else. I can't imagine that my life would be like that. I can't imagine being a slave like that. It meant you had no choice to obey your master where you faced the consequences of punishment, often horrible brutality and death. And you can read um, online if you don't have any good books about slavery about all the horrific accounts. Library of Congress has this uh, great resource called The Voices of Slavery. You can actually go online. I did this with my family yesterday just for a minute. And you can listen to recordings made in the 30s and 40s of previous slaves. And you can hear their accounts in their own words. And if you think about that, that wasn't that long ago. My, my own grandfather, I remember sitting as a young boy and talking to my grandfather about when he was a young boy, when he was a teenager and a young man, and he worked alongside former slaves. That just wasn't that long ago. He, he was working side by side with slaves in, in fields, tobacco fields in North Carolina and Virginia. And in the 30s and 40s, and then as late as the 50s, there were still some slaves from the, before the Civil War time alive. It wasn't that long ago, but it seems so far away to us. You know, we have pictures. I, I brought some pictures this morning of some of slaves, like a guy named Sam Jones. This is, I think, from 1936 or so. Sam Jones, another woman, Rose Fay. It was 1938. Monroe Brackens from 1938. Bill and Ellen Thomas from the 40s. A, a joyful, <laughs> that's probably my favorite picture, although the, the light kind of washes it out. What, what a joyful, happy picture it is. And, and you know why, in all those pictures at least, they were, they were joyful or smiling is because they were no longer slaves. They're no longer slaves. That's who they used to be, but it's not who they were anymore. You know, for most of us, slavery's in the distant past, though. We really can't imagine it. We, we can't relate to it. We have a hard time putting ourselves in those shoes. But for Paul, as he is in the letter to the Romans, and as he's writing his letter to the Romans, the people in the church in Rome, they could relate. Because somewhere between 50 and 70% of the church most likely either were slaves or had recently been slaves. Look around the room just for a minute and imagine, 50, seriously, look around just for a minute and imagine 50% to 70% of the people here having either been slaves or currently are slaves. It, it kind of brings it home, doesn't it? Imagine if half your family was a slave. The first five chapters, Paul's made it clear that for those in Jesus Christ, we're not under the law, he says, but we're under grace now. And then he goes on to explain what does it mean to live under grace? It means that we've been set free. And in the first 14 verses of Romans chapter 6, he went on to, to counter the, the objection that says, well, if we're not under the law anymore, we don't have to obey the law and we're under grace, then that means that if, if I continue to sin, then grace abounds all the more, Paul. That's what you're saying. So if grace abounds all the more, then, then can I just sin more so that grace abounds more? And Paul, we saw in the first 14 verses of, cha of chapter 6, he says, certainly not. No way. That doesn't make any sense. That's absurd. But now he counters a different argument that's kind of similar, but I think more one that we can relate to. Because most people here, I imagine, most people here, I hope, 
aren't thinking, you know what, I'm going to strive to sin more so that I can get more of God's grace. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I doubt anybody would this morning. But the second thing that he's countering is something that is actually more common to us, and that's the fact that sometimes we're subtly tempted. I don't know about you, but sometimes we're subtly tempted to believe or act as if God's grace doesn't really call us to anything. As if God's grace now means we can just take it easy, we can do as we want, and you know what? Maybe God won't mind so much if I just pursue sin in this area. You know, maybe you're tempted and in a specific area, maybe you've become a Christian, you place your faith in Jesus, and you're tempted, and you think, you know what, gosh, this is temptation is too much for me. I'm just going to give in this once. God will understand. Because after all, I'm under grace, right? Now, if you've never thought that or been tempted that way, then I, I, I don't know if you're accurately aware of your own heart, because I think it's a temptation that everyone to some degree at least faces, because if God's grace is really free, then... Gosh, that means I can, I can, if I sin, I know if I sin, then I'll be forgiven. And Paul's countering that. He's countering that attitude. He's countering that, that mindset. And he says, no, that's absolutely insane. And he uses these illustrations of slavery. And he's going to hammer home these ideas of slavery. But before he does that, Paul says that, you know, if, if, if you are under grace, look down in verse 16, says, don't you know that if you present yourselves to anyone's obedient slaves, your slaves, the one you obey? And what, what's he saying here? He's, he's saying that we will be slaves. We are slaves no matter what. But it's a matter of whose slave you are. And it's a matter, if you're under God's grace, God's grace makes us delightedly free, obedient slaves. That's really kind of the whole main idea of these verses, that God's grace, far from enabling us or enticing us to sin, it actually makes us delightfully obedient slaves. Do you think of yourself that way, though? Do you think of yourself, that's really the main idea, do you think of yourself as a delightfully obedient slave, now that you're under God's grace? That's how the Apostle Paul wants us to see ourselves. F.F. Bruce, he was commenting on these verses, and he says, to, to say that to make being under grace an excuse for sinning, he says, is a sign that one's not really under grace at all. And then Paul explains in these verses, if we willingly go on sinning, it, was at, it would be as if we were presenting ourselves willingly back to be a slave again to unrighteousness, to lawlessness, a slave to sin. And then he says something shocking. I want you to to pay attention for a moment. He says something very shocking. He says, either we're a slave to sin. That's not shocking, right? Nobody's shocked by that. And we can know that we can be slaves to sin. But then he says something else that we don't anticipate, especially as 21st, right? This is 21st century Americans, right? He says something shocking. He says, either slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. How many here... Think of yourselves as a slave to God, a slave to righteousness. That's an uncomfortable thing, isn't it? In in verses 15 and 16, Paul, he's going to be telling us that there's, there's really only two options. We are either slaves to sin or we're slaves to righteousness, or slaves to God. And, and those are synonymous there. So look down your Bible in, in verses 15 and 16. He says, don't you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey. Obedience 
is an indicator of slavery. Who you obey is who you are a slave to. And so we should be asking ourselves this morning, who are we obeying? What are we obeying? Whose desires are we submitting to? Are we submitting our lives? Are we submitting our wills to God? Or are we submitting our desires to sin? You know, at one point, slaves were supposed to dress in this style that was very specific in, in the church in Rome and in the Roman the city of Rome. And then the Romans wise up and they realized, wait a minute, if there's this large a percentage of slaves, then we, we better get rid of that idea because they'll realize how powerful they are because they wanted to suppress them. Slaves were considered property. They were prohibited from families. They could be whipped. They could be branded. They could be cruelly mistreated. They could be exploited and killed, and their owners would face little or no punishment. And so when the Christians in the church, they were reading Paul's letter, they could relate. They could relate to the illustration of being a slave. They didn't have to think very hard. You know, today it might be something you think, I I can't really relate to that. Now maybe you're of uh, a different ethnic descent or African-American descent. And so for you it's not very hard because you talk to your parents or your grandparents and they have stories that are not too far gone and so it's more real. For a lot of us in this suburban culture though, it can be difficult. be hard to relate to. And by the way, I would encourage you to try. To try to relate, to try to understand what it must have been like. Not only so that you can relate to other people who are made in the image of Christ, who are in our midst, in our communities, but also that you can understand what what does it look like for you to be in bondage to slavery? Because Paul says there's, you're either in bondage to slavery, to sin, or you're freed slaves to God. And how we can identify slavery today, and, and, and I want you to just maybe look up here for a minute and, 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 and ask yourself the question, What am I obeying? What am I striving to submit to? What what desires am I giving myself to? What's driving me? Because you see, the, the way we identify slavery today is by looking at what we're obedient to because obedience is a key indicator of slavery. In fact, everybody in this room Just look around at everybody for a minute. Everyone in this room is a slave of some kind. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. That's kind of an arresting statement, isn't it? Everybody in this room, guaranteed, one way or the other, is a slave of some kind. It's just a question of what kind of slave you are. It's a question of what kind of slave you are. And you say, wait a minute, nobody owns me. I'm not a slave. I'm a free person. I can do as I want. But Jesus would say differently in in John 8, 34, Jesus was talking to his own people and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, the Messiah, I, the Messiah, say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. He makes an exclusive claim here. Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Now that's, that's the news prior to the good news. So the question is, whose slave are you? Some here might be giving themselves over to an addiction or to lust, and you're enslaved by it. Some people here, you you might be enslaved to what other people think about you, and it rules and controls you, and it's at the forefront of your mind, and it it, it affects how you act and what you say and, and how you live. 
Some people might give themselves over to wanting to be in control all the time and they get stressed out and worried and anxious because they can't be in control and so to, that desire to be in control is enslaving. Some might be slaves to trying to earn their own righteousness so everything they do is trying to earn favor before God and they're enslaved to that legalism, self-righteousness. You know, some people might fiercely deny it. Say, I'm not really tempted to be a slave to anything. Really? Just like an alcoholic or a drug addict says, you know what? I can quit any time. Right? I can quit any time. Well, then why don't you? And then the more we object, we have to be careful. Calvin once said, he says, the greater the mass of vices anyone is carried under, the more fiercely and bombastically does he extol the freedom The greater the mass of vices anyone is carried under, the more fiercely and bombastically does he extol his freedom. If you think that you're not tempted to go back to the things you once were enslaved by, be careful. You're probably far more tempted than you think. Paul says, wait a minute, before you go acting like it doesn't matter who or what you obey, you need to understand something. You are a slave. It's not a question of what you're, whether you're a slave or not. It's a question of what you're a slave to or who you're a slave to. And he says, didn't you know that whatever you, whoever you obey, you're a slave to? So are you going to obey God or are you going to obey sin? So how could you say it's okay for me to continue to sin because I'm under grace? Paul says, no. Then that's an indicator that you might still be under sin. People are either under the power of sin or they submit to the God as their Lord, their master. Who are you submitting to? Who do you desire? Who are you striving to submit your desires to? Is it a daily choice? Not that you earn favor before God. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But as as Doug Moo says, he says, Paul wants us to make clear that slavery is ultimately not just a legal status, but it's a living experience. Slavery is not just a legal status, but it's a living experience. You're either living as a slave to sin or you're living as a slave to righteousness. It's a living experience. If you're an unbeliever here, you might think, you, you might be thinking, wait a minute, you know what? Nobody controls me. I have a choice between living freely for myself and then living with God as my master. And I think, thank you very much, I'll live for myself. If you think that, you're deluded. You see, if you're sinning, you're a slave to sin, as Jesus said. And so your choice is not, will I serve my own free will or will I serve God? The choice is, will I be a slave to sin? Will I continue to be blinded and enslaved to my sins? Or will I be set free to be a slave of God? And he says, obedient slaves, obedient slaves result in righteousness. So Paul is saying that if you're seeking to submit to and obey sin, You are a slave to sin, but if you're seeking to obey God, you are a slave to righteousness. If you're living under God's grace, it's going to show in your conduct. It doesn't make you a Christian what you obey. It doesn't make you a Christian, but it's evidence that you are a Christian. 
And the confidence we can have as believers in Jesus is the same confidence that the Apostle Paul had for the believers in Rome. Look down your Bibles in verses 17 and 18. Look down your Bibles just for a moment in verses 17 and 18. Paul has some confidence that they're not stuck being slaves to sin. And here's really our hope. Here's our confidence as well. He says in verse 17, but thanks be to God. By God's grace, because of God. He said, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have now become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. We are not slaves to sin any longer. The good news is that God has actually carried out a rescued mission coming to save you, to seek and save the lost. And he's carried out this rescue mission. He sent Jesus to redeem you from being under sin. He's called you to himself and he's enabled you to obey him from the heart. And if you have a desire to obey God from your heart, he says, thanks be to God. That means you're not really enslaved to sin, even if you feel like that. So believer, If you've placed your faith, your trust in Jesus, you might still be struggling and feel like you have to sin. The good news is, thanks be to God, you're no longer slaves. Thanks be to God, you're no longer slaves. You know, maybe you feel like, I just can't say no. Paul says no. You become obedient from the heart because he has set you free from sin, having been set free. It's a past tense, having been set free. Now you're slaves of righteousness. He's transferred you out of one kind of slavery into a far better slavery. Now being set free, he says, you can follow Jesus in this life of obedience. And this call to obedience in these verses, it's grounded in what God has done in and through Jesus Christ. It's grounded in the gospel. He says, you've been, you committed yourself to the standard of teaching. What does he mean by the standard of teaching? The standard of teaching that Paul talks about, that he always means when Paul talks about the teaching that's been handed down to you, is it's really the teaching about who Jesus is. It's, a, it's the teaching about Jesus Christ. It's the good news. And so when you become a Christian, you're not just saying, oh God, please forgive me and thank you for Forgiving my sins. God, thank you for taking the punishment that I deserve and the penalty I deserve. You're also committing to live in response to the good news. You're committing to yourself to be under the lordship, under Jesus as your master. And he's saying that this standard of teaching refers to Jesus and it's embodied in Jesus as the ultimate example. And it's, it's really what we have today in, as a New Testament. But to be committed as a Christian, it's not like being a part of a social club. It's a commitment to obey. It's a commitment to serve Jesus as your master. That word for Lord, it can, can just as easily be translated master. You know, we, we, we love to sing, you know, Jesus is our Lord. But when we're singing that, do we mean, Jesus, you're my master? That bristles against our, our independence. We don't want to be somebody else's slave. But that's the only way we can be set free. It's not just a commitment to be rescued. It's a commitment to follow him. It's a commitment to say, Jesus, thank you that you bought me with a price. And now I belong to you. I'm now no longer my own. 
but now you've bought me. But you've bought me to free me. You've bought me so that I cannot follow you now. So the question is, what does your life reveal? Imagine being a prisoner in a deep, dark hole of a dungeon. Imagine just for a moment, if you need to, close your eyes, but don't go to sleep. Or don't close your eyes. Be aware you don't want to submit to that. <laughs> Imagine being in a hole of a dungeon, isolated, you're chained, you're shackled with thick irons, you're, you have stone walls surrounding you in, a, in a, an iron door. And then imagine that all of a sudden the door is ripped off its hinges and this bright light shines in and Someone has vanquished all of the enemy. He's defeated all the, those who are guarding you. He comes in. He shatters your chains. He breaks your shackles. He sets you free. He grabs you by the hand. He makes you to stand up. And he says, you're free to come and follow me. What would you do? Would you say no thanks? Or would you trust that the one who came to deliver you, who conquered your foes, who broke you out of prison has your best interest at heart. I think you'd be gladly inclined to follow your deliverer if he asked you and if he promised to protect you and to give his life for you. Because you see, that's what Jesus has done. Jesus came when we were dead in sin. It was far worse of a picture than being stuck in a dark, dank prison and in shackles. We were shackled, but we were also dead. So not only did he break down the door and break our chains and break the shackles, he brought our dead bones to life. And then he called us and says, come follow me. The question is, are you seeking to submit to him? How do you, how do you tell? How do you tell if you're seeking to submit to him? Ask yourself, okay, what, what desires do I have that, that are ruling me today? Am I, am I seeking to put to death the things that remain? Because although sin's power has been broken, sin still yells there like an old slave master yelling and telling us, you have to obey me, but will we listen to it? Or we say, you know what, I'm not going to listen to those desires. And instead, because I've been set free, I'm not going to stay in this prison. I'm going I'm to go out the door and follow Jesus. What desires do you need to say no to? And are you saying no to them? Desires for prestige, desires for acclaim, desires for praise, desires for worth. And, and you know what? We can find that in, 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 in a myriad of ways. Moms, you can find worth in, in having great kids. And so you take confidence because your kids are well-behaved and you think you've done a great job and that's where your worth is. And I say, no, that's a sinful desire. Don't submit to that. It's good to want to raise godly kids, but it's not good to put your worth in how your kids turn out. It's not good to put your worth in your marriage. It's not good to put your worth in your grades. It's not good to put your worth in your performance. It's not good to put your worth in entertainment, distraction, 
You know, so many of us, we, we, you know, we, we fumble around on our phones, and I, I'm guilty of this as well. You know, we, we, we distract ourselves, we, we dull and numb ourselves with entertainment looking for those things because we think that somehow that will satisfy us. And what is that? That's that desire to be satisfied with something other than God. Are you aware of that? Are you seeking to put that to death? Thanks be to God if you have. If you have a desire, even if you're not doing it, even if he's awakening that desire anew in you, then thanks be to God that he has transferred you out of enslavement to sin and he's made you a slave of righteousness. In verse 18 it says, having been set free, our confidence to begin to deal with our sin, to ask ourselves those hard questions, to ask ourselves, why did I get angry? What was I wanting that I wasn't getting? When I got offended, why did I get offended? And our desire to say, God, please let me no longer be controlled by anger, by offense. Our desires come from one place, it's that we've been set free. You can only battle sin because you've been set free. But thanks be to God, having been set free, we become slaves of righteousness. And think about that. To be set free from slavery, it meant that you didn't enjoy and receive for the Roman citizens. You would receive all the rights of a Roman citizen, the most powerful kingdom. And that that day, that would have been a joyful experience. Having been set free, then you could live with all the rights and privileges as a Roman citizen. And so you take advantage of that. And that's what Paul's saying. Take advantage of the fact that you've been set free and start to live as part of God's kingdom. I know for me, though, I still have a trouble relating, and so I was reading the story of a guy named Hamp Santee, a slave set free, and he shares what it was like, and he says, after surrender, I can remember they were so happy, talking about former slaves, they just rang bells, blowed horns, and shouted like they were crazy. Then they brought a brand a brand new rope. I love this imagery. He says they cut it up in little pieces and they gave everyone a little piece. And whenever they look at that rope, they should remember that they were free from bondage. Do you remember? Do you carry the rope in your pocket? I would encourage you to. Maybe for you it's a helpful reminder to carry a little piece of rope. I don't know. But carry the rope reminding yourself of the good news every day. You've been set free from bondage. To Lafayette Price of Morgan County, Alabama, uh, the tale goes on. He says, the jubilation of, I love that word, the jubilation. How often do we experience jubilation? The jubilation of emancipation meant that I'm free as a frog. Because a frog had freedom to jump when and where he please. Now that only gets it partly right. We're, we're free because God's given us a new nature and he's made us his slaves. So now we can jump wherever we like in obeying God. We could not obey God before, but now we've been set free, so now we can obey God. You know, after Adam sinned, all of humanity was locked and unable to obey God. Now he says you've been set free so that now 
You can't obey God. To be obedient, it's a slave. So now you can be a slave to righteousness. Sin's no longer your master. You don't have to be a, obedient to sin. That should give you hope, Christian. No matter where you've been stuck, no matter where you've been despondent, no matter how discouraged you are, no matter how self-condemned you are, you need to remind yourself of the truth of who you are, that you've been set free, that you're not a slave anymore. And then you need to have faith and say, well, God, let me present myself now. How do I actually become who, who God, you say that I am? It's as I continue to submit myself to you. Jesus told us in John 8, I'm not going to read the whole verse to you, but John 8, verse 36, it says, I think the second slide from it says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What are you free to? You're free to to have him as your master. And if you're still uncomfortable with that, let me help you. He's not the kind of master who abuses He's not the kind of master who degrades. He's not the kind of master who who beats you. He's the kind of master who says, come into my kingdom and be completely free to be the person I created you to be to begin with. Doug Moo says again, he says, it's only by doing God's will and thus knowing his truth that we can be free indeed. You know, you may be wondering, I'll pause the, the quote for a minute. You may be wondering, why am I still struggling with this sin? And it may be because you need to start saying, God, because I'm free, I'm going to start submitting and acting like it. And as we do that, we, God uses that process to make us more and more free. It's not just let go and let God. Go back to the quote. He says, this is why without paradox... Christian freedom is at the same time a kind of slavery. Being bound to God and his will enables a person to become free to be what God wants that person to be. As a Puritan confession of faith puts it, the liberty which Christ has purchased for believers under the gospel consists in their yielding obedience unto him. You know, God actually makes us free as we yield obedience to him. And say, God, you know what? I'm not going to live for the opinions of others anymore. Instead, God, I'm going to today choose to remember that you have already said I'm worthy in Christ. And Lord, let me make decisions that reflect that. God, you said I'm not enslaved to drug and alcohol abuse anymore. So God, because of that, I'm going to believe that's true. And so today, when I want to give into that, I'm going to say no. Because I am free. But he tells us this this third truth. We are objectively God's slaves if you're a Christian. But the third truth we see is that to live as God's slaves, it means that we must actively present ourselves. We must actively present ourselves as members, our members as slaves to righteousness. We present our members as slaves to righteousness. Look in verse 19. Paul, he says, I'm speaking in human terms. He says, I'm using an analogy that you might understand, but I also realize it's limited. It's a human analogy. It's about slavery. He says, but but that's because of your natural limitations. But he uses this analogy of slavery, he says, because he wants to get something across to us. He says in verse 19, look down your Bibles again. It says, for just as you once presented your members to slaves to impurity, 
into lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For a modern American, we still bristle at the idea of being a slave. Maybe you're here still bristling at that. Now, being a slave is not like what we think of in plantations on South Carolina. What it means is that we get to have a new master that loves us completely. Now we get to be who God originally created us to be. He's loving. He only does what's best for us. He only wants what's best for us. He alone is able to do that. And how we enjoy God more and more now, it's actually by submitting to his will more and more. And in that submission, we actually grow in our affection for God and in our sanctification. You know, Jesus told us the same kind of truth. He says, nobody can serve two masters. In Matthew 6, 24, he says, he'll either serve the one and hate the other, he'll hate the one and love the other, he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. What are you seeking to love? What are you seeking to obey? Those are the same thing. The idea of committing yourself to God as an obedient slave is not popular, but it's the only way that you're gonna grow. It's the only way you're gonna actually enjoy and love God more. It's not a popular thing. You know, I don't think we're gonna, I don't think we're gonna build a mega church on the idea that you are a slave to righteousness. It doesn't go over well in North America. We like the idea that we can be whoever we want to be if we only believe good enough. But, but God says, deliberately submit your will to him in every area of life. And as you do, he will use that to continue to set you free. You already are free, but you want to experience more freedom? God says, Submit those desires. Submit your will daily to me. And as you do, I'm going to enable you to continue to grow and be free from those desires. Realize the temptation. Realize what's happening. And and realize that there is a danger that even as Christians, we can to some degree still act like slaves. And Paul says, why would you do that? Why in the world would you Go back to being controlled by other desires. Ultimately, we can be sure we are being sanctified because because we would like to be sanctified. Because we're desiring for God to, to change us. For our wills to be submitted to him. Look down at verse 20. He gives a command in verse 19, and it's a clear command, and let's not shy away from it. Let's not give in to the popular notion that grace means we no longer focus on obedience. That is a lie, and it's a deception. It also doesn't mean that we focus on obedience to earn God's grace. It's neither one of those two extremes. Grace doesn't come because of obedience, and and grace doesn't free us from obedience. Grace comes because of God's gift, and it frees us to obey. Look down at verse 20. He, he, he gives us an, impar- an indicative again. He says, when you were slaves of sin. That was, is what used to be true of you. It is no longer true of you. So because that's no longer true of you, live differently. Live in that reality. And look down at verse 21. He says, but what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you're now ashamed? He's saying, not only does, that, does it not go with who you are, you're now God's slave. And so it doesn't make any sense to say, I'm okay with sinning. 
He says, but what fruit did you get? What fruit did you get? You know, the other day we were sitting around as a family. I don't know if you've ever done this or not. You can just look up here for a minute. Have you ever gotten together as a family and talked about your sin? I don't just mean like your recent sin, but I mean all of the sins you've ever done. Seems like an odd idea. But we got around the other night, uh, I don't know when it was, sometime in the last week or two, and we just talked about, okay, I just want to let you guys know um, here's now, I didn't go into gross detail about everything, but here's all the different categories that I'm aware that I have sinned and continue to struggle with. And they were, it was pretty much everything. I haven't physically killed somebody. You know, I haven't physically done some other things. But in my heart, I'm guilty of pretty much every sin. And it was... It, was, it, it, it reminded me I'm ashamed of those things. I'm ashamed that that's, I was living a life given over to sin. I'd encourage you to do that. I'd encourage you to think about, okay, I'm, I'm guilty of pride. I'm guilty of lust, of arrogance. I'm guilty of self-righteousness. I'm just talking about my own sins. I'm guilty of anger, of bitterness, resentment, slander, gossip. Uh, I'm guilty of hating. I'm guilty of murdering people in my heart. I'm guilty uh, of, of lusting after others, committing adultery in my heart. I'm, I'm guilty of not obeying God and clear commands, and I'm guilty of not caring about what God thinks. I, I, I was thinking through, there's, there's just not one area of Scripture that I, I can't say, God, I fully deserve your wrath, and I'm fully guilty of all of these things. I deserve death. That's the only fruit I was getting. You know, I've been addicted to alcohol. I've, I've given in to so many areas of sin. I encourage you to think about that because I want you to think about what kind of fruit did you get from that? What kind of fruit did that get you? Be honest about it. It might have felt good temporarily, but there's no lasting fruit. What kind of fruit maybe did even the Christian sins, looking, that look like Christian sins, of, of trying to live to please God, to earn God's favor, the sin of legalism. What, what fruit does that get you? It gets you wrapped up and, and being self-deceived and, and being afraid to confess who you really are. What kind of fruit did you get, he says? What kind of fruit were you getting at the time from the things which you're now ashamed? Because he says something to us in verses 20 to 23. I want you to look in the Bible, your Bibles there. He says, Really, ultimately, he's saying we get fruit as slaves, some kind of fruit. You get, you get the fruit of shame from sinning that leads to death. You get the fruit of sin, and, and sin leads to shame and then death. Or you get another kind of fruit. What kind of fruit did you get from your previous sins? The result of sin is shame and death, ultimately. No matter what temporary pleasure or escape you might think you gain, you might think you're gaining worldly wealth or power, you might think there's something in that, but there is no real good lasting fruit that we gain. I was reading recently a story of Tom Brady, and for those of you who don't know who that is, he is an NFL football player. People call him the GOAT. Um, It stands for greatest of all time. I really hate that phrase because, again, I'm a Steelers fan, so I have have trouble with Tom Brady anyway. But he has won five, right, five Super Bowl rings. And he's married to this supermodel. He's got like the idyllic kids. He's got a mansion, everything you could ever want. More money than you could ever spend. And 
He was saying, well, you know what, I feel like, I feel like this can't be all there is. There's got to be something more. And so that keeps me going, looking for something else. And I would say, no, it's, it's not getting him any real fruit. He's, he's markedly discontent. And it comes through, at least in that interview, loud and clear. Wealth and prestige and fame and and all the benefits those bring, and your perfect wife, whatever that might be, and I, I don't think that's true, but um, you know, perfect children, the perfect house, and everything else, it doesn't, there's no fruit in that. It's empty. And Paul says, the end of all of your sins, all of your worldly desires, those things, the end of those is only death. Why do you, why do you pursue those things? When you're thinking about pursuing sin, when you're thinking about giving in to bitterness and resentment or self-righteousness or anger or fearing what people think, when you're thinking of giving in to alcohol or drugs or whatever it is or sex or lust or when you're thinking of giving in to those things, don't you know and, and, and remember that those things just leads to death? There's no good fruit in that. And that's to serve as a motivation for us. But he gives us another motivation. Look in verse 22, please. Look down your Bibles. He says, but now that you've been set free from sin, become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's end eternal life. The good news is that believers in Jesus Christ, we've objectively been set free. We don't have to obey sin anymore, but we get good fruit. This obedience, it might not seem like it's all that fun, but it's gonna get you real good and lasting fruit. It's going to lead to your sanctification. You're going to become more like Jesus. Not fully in this life, but in the life to come. We can be sure that he's going to give us the final fruit. But we can enjoy in this life real fruit. Imagine you were a slave to an evil taskmaster in this dark and stormy land. You know, I don't know if you need to put yourself in the in the world of Tolkien and think of yourself in the land of Mordor or whatever, but I like to think of that when I think of being slave to an evil taskmaster and imagine your master beats and whips you every day, treats you cruelly, he only takes from you, he abuses you and continually in horrible ways. Eventually he kills everyone you know and you're certain your only fate is death. And then imagine you go up to this, this, this high wall, this several hundred foot high wall that you cannot scale. And you see that a, there's a crack in the wall. Now you can see through the wall. And you see on the other side of the wall, you see that there's this wonderful, beautiful, bright land filled with all these beautiful colors. And, and there's people walking around. They're not in change. And, and they seem happy and joyful. And there's light out there. It's almost blindingly bright. And, and you can kind of yell through to the people on the other side. You say, what's it like over there? And they say, our master, he's only kind. He's only benevolent. He's only and always doing things for our good. And, and you, you notice that even the ones who die... They're brought back to life again, and then they're brought into to live in the palace with a the king. There be no reason for anybody in that good kingdom to ever to want to go back to cross the wall to go back into slavery. And Paul says, 
your old life of sin, it led to death. Don't be tempted. That, that, there's no fruit in that. You think there's fruit. The lie of the devil is there's fruit. And he says, no. God gives real fruit. He says, the wages, look down at verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, the word for wages there, it was often used for what a soldier in the army would be paid. A ruler would pay a soldier for the duties that they carried out. And so the wages for a soldier of sin, it's death. That's your wages if you're a soldier of sin. The end result of being submitted to sin as a slave is death. I was reading a story about a former slave named Katie Rowe. And she told a story of how she would never forget the day she was set free. Listen to me, and I want to share the story with you. She says, the morning, that morning, we all go to the cotton field early, and then a house slave came out from the old mistress on a horse and say, she want the overseer to come into town. And he leave and go in. And, and while the old horn blow up at the overseer's house, and we all stop and listen, because it's the wrong time of day for the horn, we start chopping again, and there goes the horn again. The lead row slave holler, hold up. We all stop again. We better go in. That our horn, he holler at the head slave. And the head slave thinks so too. But he say, he afraid we catch the devil from the overseer if we quit without him here. But the lead row man say, maybe he back from town and blowing the horn himself. So we line up and we go back in. When we get to the quarters and we see all the old ones and children up in the overseer's yard. And so we go on up there. The overseer is sitting on the end of the gallery with a paper in his hand. And when we all come up, he comes say, stand close to the gallery. Then he calls off everybody's name and he sees we're all there. Sitting on the gallery in a hide bottom chair was a man we never see before. He had on a big, broad, black hat like the Yankees wore, but it didn't have any yellow string on it like most of the Yankees had. And he was in store clothes. It wasn't homespun. It wasn't jeans. They were black. And his hair was plum gray and so was his beard and it came way down here on his chest but he didn't look like he was very old but he had had a because he had his face was kind of flashy and healthy looking i thought we'd all be sold off in a bunch and i noticed some kind of smiling and i think they're sure glad of it the man say you all know what day this is and he talked kind and he smiled we all don't know, of course. We just stand there and grin. Pretty soon he asks again. The head of man say, no, we don't know. He says, well, this is the fourth day of June, and this is 1865. I don't want you all to remember the date because you are always going to remember the date. Today you is free, just like I is and Mr. Saunders and your mistress and all us white people, the man say. I come to tell you, he said, and I want you to be all sure to understand because you don't have to get up and go by the horn no more. You is your own bosses now, and you don't have to have no passes to come and go. We never did have no passes, no how. He said, I want to bless you and hope you always as happy until you got the right and life that any white people got, the man said. And then he got on his horse and he rode off. We all just watched him go on down the road. And then we go up to Mr. Saunders and ask him what he wants to do. He just grunt and say that we can do as we darn well please, he reckons. But get off that place to do it unless he wants 
we want to stay and make the crop for half of what we bring in. None of us knew where to go, so we all stayed. And he split up the fields and he showed us which part we got to work in and we go on like we was and we make the crop and we get it in. And, but there ain't no more horn after that day. Some of the slaves were lazy. They don't get in the field early and they get it taken away from them. But they, they plead around and get back to work and, and better the rest of that year. But we all got fooled that first go out. When the crop all came in, we don't get half. Old mistress was sick in town. The overseer was still on the place where he charged us half the crop for the quarters and the mules and the tools and the grubs so we didn't get anything. See, what was the problem? They were free, but they didn't live like it. They were free, but they were fooled into thinking that they still had to go back to their overseer. They still went, the first thing they did when they were set free, they went back to the overseer and said, what should we do? And what's their overseer going to tell them? He's only going to tell them a lie. What is your old master going to tell you? He's only going to tell you a lie that you're going to be rewarded. But don't get fooled. Don't get fooled. There's no reward. But there's something here that we haven't touched on. We have another problem. We can't ever obey good enough to get the reward of eternal life. We can't do it. We can't ever obey perfectly. You can't ever obey so that God actually says, I'm going to reward you with eternal life because of what you've done. But he, he doesn't say that. He says the wages of sin is death. Okay? So you might expect him to say, so the wages of righteousness is you get what you deserve, right? But that would be stinky news. The wages of sin is death. But he doesn't say the wages of righteousness is eternal life because we would have no hope. Look down your Bibles. What does he say? The wages of sin is death, and the contrast is not the wages of your righteousness. What's the contrast? You can say that loud. The free gift. The free gift leads to sanctification and eternal life. That's the good news. Our wages that we deserve, no matter how good you try to be, you will never deserve eternal life. And God says, stop trying to earn it. I've given you a free gift. Now, receive that sanctification. Receive the gift of eternal life. Not because of your works. So that you can be freed up to work without that pressure. Even if you did obey God completely somehow, you, it would just be what you should have done to begin with. But the good news of Jesus, it should make us rejoice and hoop and holler and jump like a frog and get excited as freed slaves. We could only earn death, but his free gift gives us sanctification and eternal life. He did everything required of us. Jesus perfectly obeyed. He was the true and perfect slave of righteousness. He joyfully fulfilled all that God called him to do. He broke into our tomb. He set us free. He broke through our chains. He broke the bonds of sin and death. And now we don't get what we deserve. We get far more. We get what Jesus deserves. Ours is the story of slaves made free. To be God's slaves. Do you rejoice in that? Do you live in the good of that? Do you submit yourselves joyfully and willingly as obedient slaves? Because he promises sanctification and eternal life. We're free to love and serve God.
That's why this is such good news. Have the band go ahead and come up and we'll, we'll close in song. The free gift of eternal life that we receive. If you're not a believer here, you can receive this free gift. And it comes by saying, God, I could never earn your gift. God, I could never be good enough, but I place my faith, my confidence, my trust that Jesus, he was faithful in my place. And then I also place my trust that Jesus was punished for all the punishment that God, I deserve from you. And so God, now I, by faith, receive your gift. And God, I wanna live for you. And if you're a believer here, live in the freedom, the joyful freedom that he gives. And jump like a frog. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would enable us to respond to you, to love for you, to joyfully, with no condemnation, set aside those areas we've been submitting to and submit to you instead, knowing that you've given us the power to do that. And Lord, longing and looking forward to the sanctification of life you bring. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, please stand and let's sing together.